0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casella, and With me today is Dan Lyons.
1: Hello, everyone. Happy uh, Memorial Day, well, now post Memorial Day week. Um, happy unofficial start of summer. Um, happy, I'm in, uh, do we have a podcast last week? I can't even remember. This is my first one back in North. It. I did I had have, a. have a podcast. I think yes, yeah, I have, we Yeah. I'm still, still in the North, and uh, we'll be here for the foreseeable future. So, yay
0: i i'm still in the south and will be here for the foreseeable future though it's not the south that you usually think of uh,
1: it's southern it's it's yeah <laughs> it's the west the, south the west is its it's, thing.
0: yeah it's 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 more southern it's a southern part of the country but it is not it is definitively not the south
1: it is not the south capital letters no it is it is the south lowercase s in case anyone was confused as to where los angeles is um not in the south but southern, but in I, would, South. I, I would, I <laughs> would
0: bet and this is not. I would bet that there's a decent amount of of East Coast people in general, just like there are a decent amount of West Coast people in general. Just don't have a firm grip on the geographies of of states on the other side of the country.
1: Oh, I mean that's definitively true. Obviously, none of our brilliant, uh, smart, uh, well-educated listeners, but um, yes, generally speaking, that is absolutely true.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I I feel like it's one of the advantages um, I have of, of living on both coasts for extended amounts of time at this point. Uh, I, I, have a, I have a firm grasp on where, grasp on where everything
1: is. Uh, if not that, would you know where Los against Angeles against... is? We don't know.
0: We don't, honestly. I, I feel like growing <laughs> up, you know, like growing up, you just kind of see like opposite coasts as like, oh, that's where like, you know, when you're watching, oh, that's where the 49ers play. That's where like the Dodgers are. Like, but you don't really know where, those places are until like you visit or until you like spend extensive amounts of time there. Um, and I know, like, I talk to my wife who grew up out here. Uh, she kind of feels the same way about a lot of like the cities back east because um, she only like really lived over there for the four years she was at SU. So definitely, definitely fun to see both sides of it. And my, my kids will fall victim to the um, wait, where is New York relative to Boston, relative to DC uh, thing that everybody over here does.
1: That's why I, that's, it's funny to think about that. Not everyone uh, grew up in the Northeast. Who knew? <laughs>
0: uh, very few, apparently. Um, Dan, why don't we talk about Syracuse a little bit uh, beyond just mentioning that we went there. Um, I think we should start with the uh, office of line because I think it's something worth noting. I think it's something that, you know, Steve Haller on the site has been talking about the real improvement for that group. Um, in the final three games of last season. I think it was evident based on how much better I think the offense played um, in those final three games, even though we went two and one in those games. Um, obviously, we couldn't necessarily stop anyone um, in the final two, but nonetheless, we're still able to score points at I think a more reasonable clip. Uh, we did pull off two wins. Uh, we even put up points against Louisville um, in that matchup despite the loss. I think that really the key was you know moving Ryan Alexander, um off the line, uh getting Aaron Service out of the uh the center spot where he'd been since uh 2017 and uh and moving Matthew Bergeron in. And I, I think in general, like those shifts just seem to make such a world of difference. And I think, you know, that we knew that based on the eye test, but David Hale over at ESPN uh pulled up a bunch of numbers uh last week that really seemed to bear that out. Um you know based on the metrics and i think that that has me even more optimistic um especially when he ranked syracuse the uh the fourth best potentially returning line for 2020
1: yeah the fourth best line like i think any syracuse fan and i think david would say is like pretty optimistic um but he definitely makes a compelling case and and credit to steve uh steve has been on like basically the same train without just the hard numbers uh since last season um but yeah, it's, it's having those four guys together who've played uh, a little bit more towards the end of the year surveys, uh, Davis, Fortello and, uh, Vortorello and Bergeron. Like when those guys played, there was a pretty significant, um, just across the board improvement in terms of like everything we did. Uh, Hale had a, a thread, uh, that is a, about a week ago. Uh, now when you're listening, where like pressure was down like 10%. Uh, if any, any of these guys were missing, um, pressure was down 10% from the the you know otherwise if all four were on the field um our passing was up like almost a full yard per drop back uh our yards per rush were about uh or uh, yeah yards per carry were about a uh, yard up and our first down yards per carry were up like you know almost 3 yards so it's uh it's a pretty stark difference um and yeah they only played you know a little more than a third of the time all four of them together so um i think they're definitely they have found something Uh, And I think that's, you know, we talked about it a a decent amount. That's probably a large reason why Kavanaugh's coming back and and like, he wants to do a full, a full year of like being able to build from there. Um, But like, had we had these numbers that we had with all four of them in the field for like, you know, the majority of a season, like 75% of the time instead of 38% of the time, like I think we'd probably make a bowl. I think it's not that crazy to say we would have found two more wins given what, uh, or one more win given what, um, you know, the season ended up looking like. So yeah it's uh definitely cause for optimism i think that's a good way to put it um more so than like any hard evidence that we have things figured out or that will be like a top five off the line in the a c c uh and and that also does with the the uh we should mention the a c c off across the board was really bad offensive line wise last year um but it's definitely like reason to think that we could see a pretty significantly forward if those things continue to trend in the uh positive direction and that's good news because a lot of those guys are still pretty young anyway um so, you know, hopefully we're building something that can last year and not just be like a one-off, like, a one-off good season if we end up having one of those.
0: Yeah, I mean, like you said, like, I, I think a lot of us expected that Kavanaugh gone, the fact that he's still back uh, created, like, some head-scratching decisions at some points, but clear improvement in the final three games. Clearly, those are the guys that needed to be out there. Um, it seems like they wanted to try to preserve a red shirt for Bergeron if they could, I do think, in general. But, yeah, like, y- you just look at this... How many games we had that were pretty close at different junctures, and it's it's very easy to see, like you said, a path to six, a path maybe even to seven. Uh, There's a handful of games in there uh, that came down to just the score. The NC State game probably stands out. The Pit game's one that stands out. Like there's some games that just it's just not going to happen, obviously. But you know, there there's still plenty in there um, where you could say okay, again, Pitt, you lost 27-20. NC State, you lost 16-10. to And that game, you know, SU was just completely ravaged um, up front, and that was what really kind of stalled the offense for the first three quarters of that, you know, atrocity of the football game. Um, so you, you, you can absolutely, you know, m- make the case there. I think for me going forward, it, it creates a sense of optimism that Tommy DeVito will be a lot better. I mean, we've discussed it here numerous times, but DeVito is – you know, uh, a guy who put up really good numbers despite the fact that he was, you know, knocked on his ass more than pretty much any quarterback in college football, um, the fact that he was pressured more than just about any quarterback in college football. Obviously, he has some issues that, that, that he can address and should be addressing, um, staring down receivers, uh, not necessarily going through progressions, but those things are really hard to focus on, um, as we've talked about, when you're, um, when you're constantly fearing for your life. And I think we saw that a little bit with Eric Dungey too, when we had lesser offensive lines is that you can't necessarily get the fundamentals down when your first concern, The second the ball snapped is how quickly is someone going to get to me? So I, I, I'm very optimistic that, you know, we could see a 3000 yard season from, from DeVito. That would be a first for Syracuse since, uh, since Ryan Nassim graduated. Um, I, I think we could see, you know, one of the probably better uh, seasons in terms of, you know, touchdown passes, Uh, And, you know, maybe we get to see DeVito run less. Um, I I know he's done well at times when he's taken off the Western Michigan game in particular. He really excelled last year. But I I, I think that we could see a very different Tommy DeVito, even if he's not fundamentally like leaps and bounds better. I think we're going to see just a healthier Tommy DeVito and a Tommy DeVito that that is more focused on making those um, adjustments that we saw him honestly capable of last year. If you look at how he was able to you know, get rid of bad throws and, and improve ball safety, I mean, he had um, one of the better streaks of, of, of throws without an interception to end the season um, in the country, which, was, which I think is something that, you know, it's not, it's not the only story of, of him and accuracy, but I think it's a story uh, when you look at the progression for him.
1: Yeah, I, I think he def- we ter- talked about it a lot during the season. He deserves a lot of credit for cutting down on those really brutal interceptions, especially the ones where he's flushed out of the pocket, which you know is an offensive line issue. Um, when he was flushed right and kept on throwing along the sidelines and trying to force passes to really tight windows instead of just throwing it away, um, he basically cut that all out by halfway through the season, and that's a credit to him. Like that was obviously like an instinctual thing and like an issue he had kind of built into him, and he and the coaches got got rid of that, and that was huge. That being said, like he, you know, has plenty of other things to work on. Um, but he he definitely made uh, some kind of smaller improvements over the course of the year, even though he was playing through pretty clear injury. Um, like you said, the offensive line obviously is a huge part in that. Hopefully, keeping him upright, um, keeping him from having to uh, do more as much with his legs. I, I'm I'm always pro quarterbacks taking off and taking advantage when when defenses give them room to run. And we know Devito can really pick up some yardage. He's fast. Um, but it shouldn't be when like that's the only thing he has to do uh because you know he only has two two to three seconds in the pocket so hopefully with the offensive line improvements we'll see a much much different uh much more poised Tommy DeVito and we will see um what should be like in this system like we should start shattering these offensive number records for the team like every year uh once the t- once the the program really gets rolling and DeVito has the arm to do it so I- i'm pretty i'm pretty bullish I-, I think um just the combination of uh, just these reasons for optimism on the offensive line, plus what we've already seen DeVito kind of work on and, and develop even in pretty uh, unfavorable circumstances for him, um, I think tend to like indicate good things to come, hopefully. So uh, definitely more optimistic after reading all this stuff uh, from Steven and, and David Hale um, and and really looking forward to see where things go. Uh, and hopefully the recruiting uh, follows on because you know, we talked about hopefully, hopefully getting some more offensive linemen with the rash of defensive linemen and defensive pass rushers we've gotten recently. Um, you know, hopefully that's still to come.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Obviously, you know, we we lost out on. I know we talked about Josh Moore recently, and we lost out on him to Stanford. Um, realistically, if you're going to get offers from the likes of Stanford and Duke, uh, Notre Dame, schools like that, I think Northwestern and BC were also on that list. Like. Not to knock our alma mater, but I would say that we are the lowest uh, <laughs> rung on that letter um, if if your main thing is academic prestige.
1: Yeah, if you're a student of that caliber and you play football, I think it's very hard to turn down Stanford if you get in.
0: Yeah, so like, and you know what, like, technically, like, there there is a clearer path to, to a college football playoff, to the NFL draft. Like, Stanford's proven now for, you know, upwards of 15 years that they're able to churn out um, well, almost 15 years, I'd say in a row that they were able to churn out NFL talent. They're able to contend for major bowl games. Like so there, there, there's some hiccups in there, obviously, because, uh, you know, Stanford's not on that top rung of college football. I mean, even USC, who, who would be considered on that top rung, uh, can slip up more than most. But, you know, most blue bloods at least. But Stanford is, is clearly you know, in the last 15 years and really for the, for the lifetime of, of, of most recruits um, is clearly a better program um and yeah you you really can't begrudge a kid obviously SU still has a lot of guys that they're focusing on in that um that position group so i'm not necessarily concerned as much um SU starting to gain a little bit of momentum too um on the recruiting front and i think you know, th- this is the type of group that like we've said if, if SU can just land one or two of these like you know guys in the top 4 to 500 and George Brooks is like a top 200 top 300 guy um you could see an SU class for the first time under Babers you know in the top 45 to 47 or so which doesn't it's not the end-all be-all but it's something
1: yeah I mean it's a pretty big step forward right now we're ranked 46th now that is admittedly bolstered by the fact that we have 10 commits and a lot of schools are in like the mid single digits um so like the average rating isn't great but also at the same time which we've talked about a lot like a lot of these guys haven't been evaluated basically um Everyone below, like, our top five or so guys have barely been evaluated. Uh, Derek McDonald, who's a tight end from Atlanta, uh, had three stars slapped on him pretty shortly after committing. Um, we've had similar things for uh, Jalen Moss and Terry Lockett. I think we're both uh, had similar situations where, like, the sites are just starting to pick up on them. Austin Roon actually was our highest rated commit for a while at 24 7, and then uh, his rating uh, declined by, like, a couple hundred spots. So I don't really know what happened there um like literally a day after i think he committed but i'm not you know i don't think he got i don't think he got 100 like 400 you know spots worse in reality i I assume they just had a ton of uh, reshuffling but overall like uh you know it's a good it's a good ground for this class um if you get a guy like rooks uh you're getting one of the better commits we've had in a long time um we're still holding out for hopefully a quarterback somewhere i know that's getting tricky with uh just the numbers um, and, you know, hopefully a couple more offensive guys, offensive line, especially, um, still positions. I think we're pretty well flush out. I would take some more, but, um, just overall, we've been, we've hammered those positions super hard, uh, the last couple classes. Um, so yeah, the front seven, which is where this class really shines. I think, uh, on defense is, is a pretty good place to, to be going though. And we have, uh, what a pair of defensive tackles two outside, uh, linebackers and, a and a defensive end. Like that's, and I know, uh, one of these guys might end up in the middle. I think Rune might end up in the middle, but um, not a bad place for us to be building up from considering like all the depth we've lost on the inside, especially recently.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree there. I I think this is, you know, with Juan Wallace leaving, um, this is something I like noted like a couple of years ago is that SU just kind of got into this churn and burn situation um, around the linebacker position in particular. Um, Last year, I think linebacker struggles early, uh, really kind of defined things and then it kind of started to fall apart from there and that's not to knock you know like anyone that was on the field just more to say like when you have more inexperience and experience when you have a system that really function like really like pivots on the linebacker position um, it, it gets tough and you know like in 2018 like things could have gone very differently um, if things hadn't clicked for Ryan Guthrie in particular um, by the midway point so I think linebacker is always going to be like a, a position of emphasis i think it's been a position of strength for us for for much of the last 15 20 years now um and, and i think you know you have a lot of um talent on the roster already you know michael jones uh lee pogba guys like that who, who are, are coming up and are probably going to be starters this coming season um, that i think speaks volumes for you know what this staff's been able to do in terms of talent acquisition and i i think as long as those guys are successful um, should be a beacon for for more talented players that hey if you come in at the you know the right time you're able to get on the field early and put yourself in a position to potentially get you know drafted by NFL team.
1: Yeah, I certainly buy all that. It, it also helps that like hopefully we're not dealing with like just kind of plug and play like uh, we we you know I think we generally deal with like JUCO guys later on in the cycle, but it seems like we might actually be building out the depth that we haven't had up front in a while um with like longer term starters and uh, and whatnot. So that that's also helpful, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think honestly, like we have—I know we have what one transfer um, this cycle. I don't see any JUCOs just yet. That's—I mean, I'm not—I'm not opposed to JUCOs, but I do think that this has been probably the most depth we've developed um, from you know the high school recruiting level uh, since Babers arrived, and really in a while because I felt like you know Schaefer too seemed to lean um, lean on JUCO guys. I know Marone did. Um, and a lot of that's just because both of those guys were gone by this point, um, in, in their SU tenures. So it it's great to see Dino be able to really build that out. And hopefully, you know, if we see the on-field results uh to go with it, then you know, you you can you definitely start. I mean, not that you start making the case that, that Dino's building something. It's clear he is. Um, but I think it it calms some of the uh some of the nerves around program development and, and talent development um and acquisition that some people may have had in the
1: past. I think Juco's are good, like, uh, Band-Aid's harsh because a lot of them turn into really, really good players, but it, Juco's and, and one-year grad transfers is, like, kind of in the same group. Like, you don't want to rely on them because they kind of beget themselves. Like, you you end up having to roll in, like, groups of them. We've seen it with quarterbacks at some places, Um, and if one of them doesn't hit, then you're in, like, real trouble if it's a quarterback or a, an offensive tackle or another really important position. So, um there's certainly if you can get a good one like you take them for sure and you you plug them in and and hope that they help you, you know, win pretty uh, at a high level, but you don't want to be in a situation where you're not recruiting full four-year players at those positions um or you're struggling in that area and then like you miss on one transfer and it's like way more impactful than just missing on a regular high school player.
0: Absolutely. Um Dan, why don't we do halftime a little early this week? You know, we have some other things we want to talk about in the second half. Um so what were you drinking during this uh, extended weekend? Uh,
1: so I stopped in Connecticut before coming down to the Jersey shore. Um, I picked up a couple of things from my, my one of my local breweries up at my hometown, half full in Stanford, um, grabbed their all together, which is one of the IPAs that like a lot of breweries are making right now. It was like a charity uh, type uh, thing. Um, I assume they all have like a of their local flavor on it, but a pretty solid IPA enjoyed that. Uh, and then also their St. Mango supernova sour uh, part of their sour series, which is really delicious. Uh, a nice ton of blend of flavors there um they also started making this hard coffee that's actually quite good it's like a a malted uh coffee with uh hot, actually a hop profile as well which is really interesting and not what I expected but but pretty dri- pretty drinkable um and good for uh you know early earlier drink in the day at least because it's it's quite caffeinated um and then I also have a bunch of all day IPA that was already down here so it's probably it's a little past where I probably should have been drinking it but it tastes fine so I'm happy with that um And then uh, also picked up uh, from Tom's Tom's River Brewery, which is nearby. I didn't even know there was a brewery in Tom's River until I saw it. Um, Some sweet nothing honey cream ale, uh, which is actually really, really good. Uh, Super refreshing, a nice kind of subtle uh, sweetness from the the local honey that they use for it. So I really enjoyed that. I'm going to hopefully seek out some more stuff from them. Uh, And then hopefully at the end of the week, I'm going to get a shipment from Carton, which will be exciting.
0: Very nice. Yeah. I haven't had carton since the last time I was in New York. Um, I know they always make great stuff.
1: I'll load up on boat beer and some other stuff too, but they're, they're <laughs> delivering my area. So uh, that's exciting. I seem to wait till the end of the week.
0: Yes. Thanks. Nice. Um, on my end, i did a decent amount of different stuff this past week. I uh, had a beer shipment, stopped over at buddy's place. And uh, we watched the uh, Phil Mickelson Tiger Woods thing in his garage while I was sitting outside of it. And he was sitting inside his garage. Um, having a couple of beers, um, I had, had Alpha Neo IPA from Beachwood, I, I mentioned that one last week, as well as Physical Pog, their, uh, Heart Seltzer, had, uh, from Brewery Tarot, uh, Filmishmish, their, uh, Apricot Wild Ale, that I haven't had in a couple of years, and it's still really good, um, also had, uh, from Frame Family Brewers up in Oregon, had, uh, Frambozen, the barrel-aged version, 2017, really, really good Lambic, um, definitely enjoyed that one. From a uh, smog city down, Torrance had exploding clouds, uh, and New England IPA. Not a big hazy fan, but this one was actually really good. Um also had another hazy from uh, Modern Times. they were a Dinosaur World uh, Double IPA. I, I usually trust their hazies better uh, better than most. So that uh that was it on that front. Got a bunch of new stuff too for uh, for the weekend ahead. So we'll uh, we'll have more. I mean, it's not new, I guess, for for this show. I feel like I talk about the same like seven or eight beers lately, um, but but new for new for just my fridge now has it in it. If that makes sense,
1: that that's totally fair.
0: <laughs> and, and, and stay out of stores as much as possible, and try to keep my local breweries afloat.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna keep on trying to do that. There's a bunch of breweries around here that are delivering to the shores, so I'm gonna try to rotate through and at least support them every few weeks. I picked up some stuff at the store recently, but it was, you know, luckily pretty empty here and during Memorial Day, which was uh, a good surprise. It helped that the weather was pretty, pretty mediocre. Um, but yeah, yeah, for overall, sure. Helping those guys out, if you check, you know, check for your own local breweries, uh, if they're delivering, you know, it's always a good thing to do and, and get some money in their pockets. So they stay afloat very, if you're working on it. Uh,
0: right. <laughs> yes, very, very, very important. Um, Dan, I want to talk a little bit more about recruiting, but not football, um, and not men's basketball either. Talk about women's basketball. Uh, Quentin Hilsman is on a tear lately. Um, I know on Monday got a commitment from, uh, Houston's Amani Bartlett. Uh, that makes the fourth player for 2021. Uh, she got injured, but before that was a top 100 player. If she ends up getting that top 100 ranking back, um, SU will already have four top 100 players, um, for, uh, 2021 which is pretty damn impressive, especially considering um, how much time still left in that cycle. Um, team added Nia Wilson uh, first, and she's also a Texas player a couple months ago. And then uh, Latasha Lattimore and Shan Day-Wilson uh, were both added together um, within the last couple weeks. So and it, pretty impressive uh, class following up on a 2020 class that was ranked number four overall. Um, Q's doing work. I, I gotta say, I, I've I've long been impressed with his ability to acquire talent. Um, the fact that you know some assistants left this off and that uh, could have put some doubt on on what was next. Uh, I feel like that's already been completely uh, nullified because yeah, he's he's done a really nice job here this off season.
1: Uh, you know, recruiting has been Q's thing for a while, um, and for a while, I think there were. Uh some concerns that it was kind of an unbalanced thing where he could bring in talent, but didn't the most of it. But ever since the, the championship game run, I think he's starting to really pay him off. And then it's, it's been getting more great recruiting classes last year. He finished with a top five class this year. Well, it looks like, uh, we could be heading for a similar thing and, you know, just pulling in classes that, that rival, what like the big powers get. um, hopefully that'll elevate us into, if not that tier, just like on a place where we can, you know, play at UConn and maybe have uh, a chance of upsetting them. Like it's, it's baby steps in women's basketball because there's such a big uh, chasm in terms of the talent. But uh, I think we're starting to see it spread out a little bit more. Um, You know, I think Notre Dame uh, having a coaching change uh, with Muffet McGraw retiring um, and her team kind of taking a a big step back last year to open things up in the ACC a bit. Um, But overall, like it's, it's all good signs. I think he was done. Uh, just a really nice job of making sure that deep tournament run um, wasn't just a one time like bit of uh, great news, but something that trails off. It seems like he's building something that even if we're not competing for national championships on an annual basis, like hopefully making more deep tournament runs. And that's that's like the next step, I think, is is more consistent runs to the sweet 16 to the elite eight and then putting yourself in a position to uh, really compete nationally. But But obviously getting the talent there's probably the most important part of that. And he's, he's continually doing that and improving if anything, which is good.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, we, we haven't made it past the sweet 16 um, since the, the final four run uh, which, which is obviously a bummer. And it's obviously something that, you know, could spell some doubt about what's being built and when, and whether and the validity of that run uh, for those outside, but, you know, for those inside, I think you see a clear um, ability to challenge top teams um, every season. Obviously, you know, this past year, despite the fact that they were, you know, a team that didn't have, uh, you know, star point guard, they still were around a 500 squad, they still knocked off two top 10 teams with Florida State and Louisville. Like, this is clearly a a program that, you know, while you you know, like you said, is not, is not in that top tier, I think that top tier is really kind of fluid right now. As you alluded to, I think it's UConn, um, you know, you've got your South Carolina, your Mississippi State, Oregon found has found itself in, in that conversation now. Uh Louisville, I, I think that, you know, Notre Dame taking a step back is 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 a potential you know entry point. Florida State's been able to put together something really strong over the last few years. Like it it's not necessarily, you know, Yukon and, and and assorted friends at the top anymore. And like there's a clear spot in that second rung where where now you can potentially get yourself into a Final Four every every few years. Um, if you have the right players on the roster and, and, and credit to Q for, for understanding that and understanding that, you know, he does have um, what might be the right group of players on this roster. And, and not just now, but like for years to come, like we don't have to win a national championship every year. We don't, I, I might not need to win a national championship at all, but if Q can turn at least, you know, SU into a consistent final four contender, that could be, um, you know, a really great, Beacon for for what's ahead um, and and turn SU into, you know, again, they don't have to be Tennessee or or UConn um, necessarily, you know, in in the history of women's college basketball. But if they can become, you know, a a perennial power and and a team that that you see in that second weekend, um, that's a really great step in the right direction. And makes you forget very quickly um, really what Q's been able to build from scratch.
1: Yeah, that's the other side of this is that, like, obviously he's been around for so long that it's hard to kind to, of to remember, but the program really wasn't uh, very strong at all when he took over, and he's, you know, it probably took took him a little longer than people expected or were hoping for him to, to get off the ground, but I think it's pretty – we're pretty clearly there, and uh, obviously last year we – didn't have you know a great season but we're dealt such crazy blows to start that it was kind of hard to imagine having it but you know this coming season should be a lot of fun with that top recruiting class with uh tiana coming back um and then it just seems like we're we're in a really good position to to kind of keep things rolling here um i'm looking through the espn women's recruiting rankings uh they don't have the team rankings out but there aren't a ton of teams here with uh three three girls in the like top hundred so um definitely nice to see uh it's it's really impressive what he's been able to do and uh i think as we touched on like it's it's nice to to be able to kind of pull pull drills in from across the country um or across the continent honestly uh it, it kind of shows um that syracuse is building more of a brand there than just like oh you know i know we've gotten uh, had really good success recruiting in, in new york city and that's something like with the like with the men's team um that should be a focus but when you can pull in someone from texas like that's an indication that the efforts are really wide reaching and, and catching, you know, notice in the greater women's basketball community. Uh, so that's always impressive as well.
0: Yeah. And, you know, like Q has gotten a lot of, ex- a lot of success, um, you know, with, with your European players and things like that. Like, not that, not that that's not good. Cause we've got some great players from there. Um, obviously, you know, Tiana's from uh, Australia, but realistically, like, Having the ability to to walk into any gym, um, you know, in America, and being able to 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 get that sort of high level talent, um, I, I think that's when you kind of start to to turn a little bit of a corner. Like obviously, you can still grab some great European talent, some great talent from outside the states, but when when you can pull in like that many top, you know, U.S. kids, I think it's just it shows a progression as a program, even even if the wins might be um, you know the same. And, and I think that. Yeah, you know, th- this is, again, like a great sign for things to come. I mean, Dan, what do you think is the, is the ceiling for Syracuse women's basketball? Do you think that they could ever become um, kind of a challenger to, to a UConn or, or at least look something like a South Carolina or a Mississippi State or another program like that? Or, or do you think that, that at some point, like, fan interest potentially scuttles an ability to climb into that, like, upper, upper echelon?
1: Uh, I think they go hand in hand. I mean, I like obviously South Carolina and Mississippi state weren't what they've become Baylor as well. Like until recently um, UConn hasn't won a title in a few years and Gino Arima won't be there forever. Um, I think they'll still be very good and they'll, they'll put the resources behind it, but I see no reason why Syracuse can't, um, can't start to like try to build those kind of inroads of the, the, those sec schools and a couple others have uh, done without having like the big lead up or the huge tradition um, and hopefully winning some of those games and becoming more competitive and people taking, you know, I don't think they really need to become like more exciting. The games are actually like the, the quality of basketball is great. The the talent's great. Um, it's just a matter of like getting the eyeballs on it and and for people to understand like, oh, this is like a really valuable use of my time and my entertainment dollar. It's not just the men. Uh, it's, um, you know, a good reason to go to the Dome. Like going to the Dome is always fun. So uh hopefully, as like the continued success goes uh or happens uh it of uh, builds like together with the fan the fan interest, so it's definitely an important component and uh something that's necessary but uh I still think like the win and they will come thing holds true even if like we didn't get the huge spike after the national championship birth. um but if it starts to become a long term thing and you you win over those uh like the skeptics among the fan base, like you should be able to hopefully uh continue things that way and and start to make it so it is a program that like you know the girls are going to to see as as valued and and have like a strong fan support behind them um so yeah i I think it all it all kind of intermingles i don't think there's like an obvious like just do this one thing and and everything will fit itself but i i think there's there's plenty of room in the college basketball the women's basketball landscape to to take advantage and in the acc as well um We've seen like, some ups and downs and some ebbs and flows with the top teams outside of Notre Dame uh, before last year. Um, so there's no reason why Syracuse can't like go become a consistent like top four in the conference uh, second weekend, third weekend of the NCAA tournament team. Um, I think that's right there for them, especially if they cont- continue to recruit at this level, and that translates into the wins that it should on paper.
0: Absolutely. So segueing now to another women's sport that people like talking about quite a bit, uh, the women's lacrosse team. Uh, SU Women's Lacrosse went 7-1 and this year uh, before play was suspended. They were a top-five team. The only loss was a one-goal loss to a really good Stony Brook squad. Uh, they knocked off Northwestern and Maryland, two teams that I think had kind of haunted dreams for SU Women's Lacrosse fans um, in recent years. And uh, I bring all this up because we had our uh, kind of weekly surveys that we've been doing about, around certain, you know, orange athletic programs. And, and one of them, uh, you know, this week was the Women's Lacrosse team the one, like the major, major surprise I found here uh, was just how like locked in a lot of people are on Gary Gate. It seems like some, like 50% of respondents, and again, there's only 42 respondents on this one. That was less than the other surveys, but 42 respondents, 50% of them said that, that he's safe without a final four. Um, we'll note that Gates made seven final fours for SU, um, and the team has not won the national championship in any of those. But apparently 50% think he's fine without one. At the same time though, 69% of fans say that the expectation for Syracuse is a final four every year. Also seems like there's just a lot of there's not necessarily I feel like the responses at least didn't necessarily indicate the same line of thinking um per question, which was odd.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not terribly surprised uh with the Derry Gate kind of phenomenon. He's just such a such a towering figure outside of his role as women's lacrosse coach. Um and a lot of these, a lot of the fans that are answering are probably not like following the day to day of that program. Uh, so it just makes sense to to be super supportive of him. But it's also been, you know, very successful outside of the the national championship uh, gap. But uh, I think you can make a make a I think with how things have gone in that sport, you can kind of make an argument that Syracuse has remained more or less in contention, while teams like Maryland or Northwestern have, have varied a little bit more, even if they've been more dominant at times um Syracuse is just always right there uh so they're kind of i i kind of like to hope they're to think they're bound to break through at some point um I think like his salary has always become a, a pretty you know bone of contention given that they have won a national championship and you know it's a it's a non revenue sport et cetera et cetera but I'm not totally surprised that um so many people are are supportive of him overall even without that that trophy in the trophy case.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, I mentioned this in the article too. I think, you know, Gates tradition and success with the men's team, obviously factors in here. I think the fact that a lot of people feel that if Desco leaves the gate is the, is the replacement uh, should be informative here. Um, A bunch of folks would rather the gate was the men's coach based on a question I asked in here, which was also interesting. Um, My follow up there um, as it will be here is that, okay, so if gate leaves eventually to coach the men's team, who coaches the women's team, um, would, again, be my, be my follow-up. I think that in general though, you're right. Like SU has built something that's more sturdy than most, um, programs. Like obviously Northwestern, Maryland, North Carolina, um, primarily get a lot of the headlines, but like beyond them, like SU is kind of right up there, um, even without the championship. So I, I think that Gates definitely built something really solid. I think he took something that had created some success and, 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 you know, drafted off, um, you know the, the the dome and 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 the success of just lacrosse in the region um, to 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 some point before his arrival, but but he really like kind of you know hypercharged it from there. Um, what, what I'm just interested in is like okay, if SU can pull in the sort of talent they are now, and they're pulling in like top five classes every year. Like if if they get if they get to a championship, they can win one, win two. If they can string together stuff like that, do they? Do they quickly kind of overtake, um, you know, the programs mentioned. BC's been been pretty good lately. Notre Dame's been pretty good, relatively. Like, can SU maybe turn into a you know UConn's women women's basketball type program, or a, or a Northwestern women's lacrosse, or a Maryland women's lacrosse type program, where they can string together a bunch of titles and, and quickly kind of lord over the sport. Um, I'm curious if that can even happen anymore in any sport, really. Um, but but I think SU women's lacrosse in particular seems uh, seems well suited to do it um, if 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 gate's sticking around and if they can continue to to, to kind of take in that sort of talent.
1: Yeah, I, I would say that it's more likely that gate you know breaks through, wins a title, and then goes on a run of like four of six or something than like Syracuse Men's doing the same thing. Obviously, they've done it in the past or something close to that. But Men's is such a, a wide range of teams that are in contention now. Women's is definitely more so than it was when like Northwestern was winning every year. But I think it's it's still like lesser than, less than the, it's less. Uh, there are fewer contenders on an annual basis in the men's uh, sport at this point. So it wouldn't be crazy to me if if he just ha- caught like fire with a couple of uh, star players who who played you know, three years at a really high level and and had a little bit of a mini dynasty run um, after all of this, like, all the near misses that we've had over the last 10 years or so. Um, But at the same time, like, even just breaking through and then becoming one of the teams that could win it any year and occasionally doing that, I think a lot of people would be very happy with.
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, for me, like, just because, like you said, the the top of women's lacrosse, I think, is not... I mean, we, we just talked about women's basketball. I don't think that the top of women's lacrosse is necessarily even as, like, filled out as that. Um, so yeah, realistically, like considering Syracuse already in that, like probably like one B tier. Um, yeah, I, I think there's absolutely a path and a quick one too, um, for the women's lacrosse program to, uh, to, to, to dominate the sport. Um, if, if gate sticks around, if, if they can, you know, continue to pull in these top recruits, uh, I, I think it's pretty feasible.
1: Yeah. And it also, I think it only helps if the men's lacrosse team kind of surges back to where they were this year and where we expect them to be next year i think um it helps go hand in hand and doing more of those uh like the back-to-back games they've done for a while i think that also helps just just driving fan interest as as with the two sports as a as a grouping um and we've seen basketball do similar things to varied results but i think trying to leverage basketball and, and men's lacrosse to to get the women's sports uh the fan support they really deserve and and just help drive recruiting in that way can, can go a long way. Um, so hopefully we see more of that as well, because those, you know, they're, they've been some of the best teams we've had on campus, along with like field hockey and a couple others, um, that go unheralded compared to men's basketball and football. And that's like every school. So it's not you know necessarily a Syracuse only thing. Um, but hopefully the athletic department continues to do more unique and, and creative way uh things to try to get people out to see those sports. Uh, because I think it does make a, of a difference. If you can actually have like a legit fan base behind you for a non-revenue or, a, or a lacrosse type sport, like, I have to imagine that's just a huge advantage in recruiting because that's not going to be something everyone can offer. And you know, if people care about the sports, that's the best way they can, they can help improve them. And it probably makes a more direct impact than going to the dome for a basketball game, honestly, a men's basketball game.
0: Yeah, that's completely fair. I, uh, I am curious. I know we discussed this a little bit in the past. I am curious how, like, I'm sure it's a sell to players pairing, like a, like pairing a couple games together um, and and getting like some of that carryover, uh, fan environment and all that. Um, I do wonder from a fan support standpoint, if it creates the sort of, like, I haven't seen the numbers to, to look at necessarily, but like, if it creates the sort of carryover that we really expect and want in these situations where you're putting, you know, men's basketball, women's basketball, back to back, or men's and women's lacrosse back to back, um, as I noted, like having a kid and, and, and another one and root, like, I couldn't imagine trying to get them to sit in a to sit in, in in a sometimes hot dome for four to five hours in a row or more. Uh, and I feel like if you want to grow the sports, the biggest way to do that is to bring kids and families. Um, so I'd be curious to see like if it's actually working or if parents, in, in particular, are like kind of picking one um, o- over going to both just because of the challenges um, that, that that come with you know just getting children in, in any one place for for four and four hours and change i guess
1: yeah that's never easy four hours worth of the football i, I hopefully you know the the non-revenues and basketball are a little bit uh less of a commitment than that but i you know i can only imagine that it's not easy to keep them seated uh and keep them somewhat <laughs> paying attention for that long in any any capacity
0: yeah, I mean, obviously, like, you know, basketball is a little bit easier, I think, just because of the the volume of scoring, um, even though women's lacrosse is kind of upticked in terms of pace and everything uh, with rule changes. I think still like basketball is going to be your best bet. Um, still, I mean, no, it's not going to be a four hour one game, but like, yeah, you you add two games. Oh, together, the back to back. Yeah, the back to back is more like even if you even if both games go pretty quick at like an hour and a half clip still three hours if you don't even and that's before you look at the the you know intermission and, and and warm-ups and all
1: that yeah it's definitely it's definitely an issue it's just one of those things that like there's not a ton that can be done about it you just need to to try to to give some incentive so i don't know if it's like something interesting going on out off of the field of play in the dome or some kind of uh giveaway or or other uh kind of event within the game. I think basketball might be a little easier to see if like the backcourt area. So you probably, you know, they have stuff set up back there, but um, obviously like, I know the the family thing has been a big driver for the women's basketball, especially, um, but it, it's stuff. If there was like a, a definite answer for like attendance in uh, for women's basketball, particularly, like, I think it would be uh we, we would have figured it out by now, but clearly there's just some kind of hump you have to get over uh like, fan mentality wise to to really start to to get those levels to where we hope they get to uh given how did the teams the teams have been um but it's it's a challenge and and that that'll be another thing that's just challenging coming off of like the turn of the covid situation like who knows what uh attendance is going to look like even for sports where like you could pretty easily spread out like i, I don't think you know, your average women's lacrosse game or or women's basketball game are gonna be like you know people on top of each other. But I I you know kind of assume that people are gonna cut bait on those types of things uh, more quickly than they will even like a really packed men's basketball game, despite the inherent risks. So hopefully, um, there's something to be addressed there, and maybe they can try to flip it and say like, oh, hey, there's like you can definitely be more safe here because we have so much dome to to use uh for attendance um but that's also you know a ways away here now so uh, we, we still haven't figured out from syracuse like what the football attendance policy well i know iowa state released theirs today where they're doing about 50 actually less than 50 percent capacity um so we have plenty of questions on that front in general for for every syracuse sport coming up
0: yeah i agree i think at some point in the near future we'll probably have to have like i know we did an episode of like you know how fo- syracuse football comes back in particular but i feel like as, as things get look look like they're more likely to come back i think it's probably worth diving into in a full episode
1: yeah i i assume like i saw iowa state did theirs today and they were the first ones i noticed i don't know they're the first ones for sure um but uh with them like i assume you'll see a lot of like a cascading effect over the next few weeks where, where teams will at least like here's where we're here's where we're at now and Iowa state, I think actually handled it pretty well. They're doing 30,000 people uh, in a 61,000 plus person stadium. And like, even if you buy your tickets now, they're not doing any single game tickets because they're all seasons. And even if you buy your tickets, um, you can then choose to to get rid of them afterwards if you're not comfortable going in the fall. So I think, you know, staying, you know, flexible and, and uh, trying to figure out, you know, ways to make sure people are comfortable um, or as comfortable as possible with the whole situation. is probably the way to go. But, uh, It'll also be interesting because, you know, there's at least a, a percentage of the people towing to the Dome for football games coming from the New York City area while, like, you know, Central New York has has responded pretty well overall and is starting to open up, obviously, that can not account for everyone towing. So there are plenty of, uh, plenty of issues on that front, but I think we'll probably find out something in the next couple of weeks if I had to guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure SU is going to, you know, obviously having an indoor stadium is a little bit different, too. Um, I think oh, a lot's yeah. going to be decided by, yeah, I think mean, a lot's going to be decided by just, I think you see, if, if if stadiums are open for business, I think you have probably less than 50% like attendees in those early weeks. And then I think people kind of play a waiting game in terms of like, well, does this result in, um, you know, an outbreak in those areas? And, and, and if it does, and I think you see, you know, just, I think you quickly see, Within two weeks of those first games, I think you see, um, you know, uh, fans completely eliminated. I think if you don't see that outbreak uh, necessarily, I think you you might start to see things creep towards that 50 percent number.
1: Yeah, that's the other advantage that like college football. It's not, you know, a great thing because if there's an outbreak, it's a big, you know, bad issue. Um, but they, they do the advantage of like games are a week apart and in large, a lot of cases, home games are two or three weeks apart. So you'll actually get some some data. Um, some data back between games so you'll have a, a decent idea of what the risk factors are but uh, obviously like you know if you're attending these games like hopefully you've weighed everything because I, I personally I don't think I would be in a rush to go to a game this fall and I would love to go like otherwise I'm like would absolutely love to go to college football whenever I could and I, I think I'd probably pass on this fall overall just to just to be cautious because it's i don't know it just doesn't seem super worth it so hopefully everyone's doing what, what they feel is right for them but um yeah it's just uh i don't know it's it's so it's so complex and it's i i can't imagine having to be in a decision making capacity for that
0: same here uh dan i think that's a good place for us to end unless you had anything else you wanted to note this week
1: no just uh happy to keep on rolling along hopefully everyone uh had a good weekend and uh we're just kind of chugging through uh, towards some sports. Obviously, we had a little bit of a uh, golf this weekend, as you mentioned, uh, which actually was a lot of fun. Um, I thought so. We're we're inching we're inching back to a place where things are like not normal, but like normal adjacent.
0: Yeah, I uh, I, I know the NHL didn't put a date or, or sites on it, but it was fun to see uh, to see their idea for a 2014 playoff, um, the plan that they seem to put in place. Um, that seems like progress since it's like actual tangible ideas and, and and it seemed like it was something that's pushing toward a resolution um, which would be awesome obviously it also opens the door for my new york rangers uh to potentially compete for stanley cup despite currently not well under normal rules not being in a playoff spot so uh, i look forward to that 30 for 30 um when the rangers win the stanley cup as an eleven seed
1: would I, yeah i was about to make the same joke so uh yes congratulations <laughs> in advance for the what like I don't even know how many games under 500 Rangers uh, winning the Stanley Cup. Just truly,
0: we actually truly- are—we actually aren't that many games under 500 because of how hockey works.
1: Fair enough. Me, I am the non-hockey fan.
0: Yeah, it's uh, we are. I haven't looked at the standing in quite some time.
1: So we're
0: so we are 37, 28, and five. And even if you put the five loss overtime losses into the lost column, we're still 37 and 33. That's
1: actually like it's actually kind of jarring how different hockey and, and uh, NHL and NBA are in that regard, because I, I would love to see like the same thing in the NBA. And you're like, oh, the 38 and uh, 47 Spurs are, are here on the NBA finals.
0: That that would happen. Um, or, you know, somehow the, the Cavaliers just happen to be like the most rested team in the NBA.
1: <laughs> They're ready. That's all they needed. Kevin Love is so fresh.
0: Or, or or maybe or maybe the the New York Knickerbockers find a
1: way. So many power for, power forwards do dominate the post COVID league, and they have could so many. Mad,
0: could you imagine if like like of all the Knicks teams actually that would like? Could you imagine like being Patrick Ewing, or being like literally anyone on all these great Knicks teams, you know, like over the last like forty years, and and then somehow like a a team that's like twenty games under five hundred manages to get into an expanded tournament and and wins it all on like some fluke
1: i honestly don't even know how they'd feel like if the 90 like the good teams like this might actually be the worst knicks team on paper which is saying something um it'd be very stupid <laughs> i don't know it's the worst team on paper i feel like there's definitely been worse teams
0: this team this like the team a couple years ago like when, when we were supposed to get like the top pick like that, that was team, bad yeah, that team was miserable
1: I don't know if it's – maybe it's not the least talented. It's just like the, the collection of players makes so little sense. Well, there's that. Like, they're not bad on purpose. They're just bad.
0: <laughs> and bad on purpose is always so much worse than bad.
1: That's true. You can really go out of your way to be, like, worse than that. Like the Warriors this year with, before Steph and uh, – before Steph came back. Like, that team right. got bad on really quick.
0: Hilariously so.
1: I, I mean, I was yeah. fine with it. I, I, very I'm cool, enough
0: I don't have to see that team play again.
1: I hate his, to break this year. Drain is fun. Maybe not this year if they don't do a, like a, every team plays, although that's a bone of contention now, but uh, next year, I expect there'll be something.
0: I actually don't want to see the in every team plays tournament, only because I don't want to see the Warriors
1: find a way <laughs> to get to the finals. God, that'd be funny. People keep on saying that the, the next year, it doesn't sound like Durant's going to play any, in, in any event. So. I think it'd be best for him to like, for his no, career. Uh, yeah, I, I don't You know, even if he's, like, hundred, close to 100%, just, like, who cares? Just, just get past this season. We'll figure out. In the, we'll figure out in December or whenever next season starts and really hopefully get things rolling, although whoever knows with Kyrie. <laughs> the meteor known
0: yeah. as Kyrie Irving.
1: Yeah. I'm just glad Kyrie hasn't uh, called into the validity of the disease. That's a win. We we should just put that in the win column for this whole event.
0: He's going to blame uh, round earthers for it. Just wait.
1: <laughs> oh, God.
0: Anyway,
1: Dan, thank you as always for joining us. Yes, the second, the second end. This was the bonus track. This was the, the end of the album, uh, NBA discussion. You, wait, you have to wait um, three
0: minutes. If you wait three minutes, then suddenly you hear a guitar riff start. <laughs>
1: uh, yes. So, yeah, good times. Hopefully, everyone, you know, et cetera, stay safe, stay healthy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Yeah. Good to talk to you as always, John. Of course.
0: Uh, Yeah. Like Dan said, everyone stay safe, stay healthy. Uh, We will do our best to do the same on this end, Um,
1: but be sure to rate, review,
0: subscribe to Troy News and Absolute Magician on iTunes, on Megaphone, on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, Overcast, wherever you may listen to podcasts and go orange. Go orange.